Welcome to the Shoot This Now podcast. My name is Matt Donnelly. My name is Tim Malloy. Hello, Tim Malloy. Would you please tell the nice people at home what we do here on the Shoot This Now podcast every single week? Every single week on the Shoot This Now podcast, we talk about stories that we think should be made into movies. We cast these movies. We say who should direct them. And this week, we have a lovely story from the world of television. Amazing. All this is true. I can prove it. Um, also, before we jump in, uh, we are available everywhere on iTunes, on on your phone, in your ears. Would you please go to the iTunes store and give us five stars? Write on a review if you'd like. On Stitcher. On, on Stitch, Google. Spotify. On Libsyn. On any number of platforms. On the Thames. Um, that's a river. It's not an actual app. Um, sure. Give us five stars. Please do. We've done 31 of these episodes now. Oh my now. God. Happy 31st episode. Happy 31st episode. And you to look you. great. You too. You um, haven't aged a day. <laughs> but we're it not kidding that, about. It must be that plastic surgery you got in episode 28. Remember Absolutely. that one? I disappeared for two episodes and I came back looking very youthful. But you see, I just had a simple root canal. Um, <laughs> we have a five star worthy episode this week. It's an amazing catastrophe. Tim, tell us what it's about. Well, the last few weeks, we've been pretty serious on the show. Very serious. I think the world has been pretty serious for the past few weeks. Yeah, we got into Soviet propaganda, Nazi propaganda. This week, we just have a fun story of a terrible television show that aired 40 years ago on NBC called Super Train. It is brought to us by the awesome Dan Delgado. Yes, Dan. Host of the Industry Podcast, a podcast about old Hollywood stories that are just so strange and quirky and funny and cool. He describes the show as, you must remember this with less research. Yeah, so you must sort of remember this. I I disagree with him. I think he does great research. He's very thorough. I mean, you must remember this, obviously, is like my favorite thing ever. But, you know, nonetheless, the industry, when there's not a new, you must remember this. And even when there is a new, you must remember this. I always make sure to check out (laughs) the industry. I'm not just the vice president. I'm a member as well. Um, Super train is what we're talking about. And it's the kind of thing that I think that when aliens study our civilization, they'll be like, they spent $20 million on this. <laughs> Could you believe it? Um, it was this incredible, <laughs> incredible disaster um, that was rescuing the 1978, was meant to rescue the 1978 television season for NBC, which was the last place network out of three. There were only three, as our guest will stress. Yeah, if you didn't like what was on ABC, you had to turn it to CBS and then turn it to NBC. And if you didn't like that, you had to turn to PBS, and we know you aren't going to do that. Um, just kidding. I watched more PBS than any other network when I was in 1978 because I was three years old watching Sesame Street. Julia Child. <laughs> yes, and Julia Child. <laughs> um, I, no one will speak better for, for what an incredibly insane, wacky, expensive, depressing, and incredible story this has been Dan. So here he is. Um, we start off with me explaining the first episode of Super Train, and then Dan takes it from there. Tim was also wearing a very lovely conductor's hat during the entire interview, which you can't see. The show starts with like 10 elderly white dudes in a boardroom that looks like it's from like 1904. Oh my God. And the one guy literally has a monocle. He looks like a railroad baron from like the turn of the turn of last century. Yes. Um, and then they tell him that his obsession with trains is going to suicide the whole company. And then the disco comes in. And then we see the future train, like from Battlestar Galactica. And then we meet all of the characters who make no impression, except for the only black character 
whose only line is he he's about to consume his alcoholic drink before he goes out and works on a train because that's of course what everybody does the whole crew was like having a drink together and he says put that back in the jug mama um which is not a thing i think people say um so it's just it really is kind of all over the place that opening right there is so phenomenal as soon as it goes from the boardroom to disco i remember i was watching that i thought oh i am so in for this this show is made for me i i i think um yeah the guy oh, and then, then a guy sexually harasses like 10 women at the same time mm-hmm. i forgot about that <laughs> It's so wonderful. It's so wonderfully 1979. You know, it it couldn't be any more 1979 if it tried. And oddly enough, the guy that you're mentioning, Harrison Page, uh, that actor, he's I, I'm pretty sure he's the only guy who's in all nine episodes. He's, he, <laughs> he manages to make it. He goes the full nine. Nobody else does, but he does. The lovable harasser. Oh my God. Uh, no, the, the the black guy who was drinking the. Was he harassing? I mean. Was he the he, guy? No, 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 no. He okay. just says, put it, put that back in the jug. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. yeah. He's good. He's the best part. I was five when Super Train was on the air, and so I never saw it, but it was one of those shows that I have heard about or have read about in TV, or TV show articles, either worst shows of all time, it's always in there with, you know, like My Mother the <laughs> Car, and... Also, uh, most expensive uh, failures of all time. It's 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 become, it's such a notorious thing, and sometimes a show would come along and be such a colossal failure. The super train comparison would be thrown in there, so it would be like, oh look, we well, it's looks like CBS has a super train on their hands, and so I was always kind of oh, well, what is this show? What is this? And so I had never watched it or really looked into it too much until I did the Super Train episode. We're from kind of the same era because I was born in 1975. I was, I guess, four when Super Train came out. And I don't know how the hell I missed it. Like, I don't know what I was doing when I was four because I think I would have eaten this thing up. (laughs) Well, okay. There was only nine episodes. Don't feel bad because nobody else watched it. And then it never got rerun. It never has been rerun since 1979. So it's, it's really easy to miss, especially if you were four. So I totally understand that. Besides, you, um, you were probably watching Different Strokes or something. It's okay. I, different Strokes, I'm glad you mentioned it on, on the Super Train episode because that is one of my all-time favorite shows ever. And I'm so glad that Different Strokes was the only survivor of the, of the Super Train season for NBC. Um, but maybe we should back up and just like set the stage for everybody. Um, as you do on the, on the episode, what was happening with NBC at this time what is Super Train? <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> okay. So in 1978, NBC is really in last place. I mean, it's there's three networks at the time. Everyone has to consider this. Cable is a brand new concept. And so you're basically just watching your three networks. And NBC is it's so far in last place that... I believe they have – now, keep in mind, there's three networks. So there's three options every hour. There's only three <laughs> options. And so in, in your top 20 Nielsen rating shows, NBC, I think, has one or two. Wow. I'm pretty sure it's one uh, the, the, in that season, which is Little House on the Prairie. So <laughs> that, they're moderate in last place, but they come up with this genius idea. They say, okay, you know what? There's a guy out there. That's going to solve all of our problems. And this guy is a programmer by the name of Fred Silverman. 
And Fred Silverman, up until this point, is a genius of television. He is the <laughs> he is the biggest television genius that we've maybe ever had because he was he programmed CBS in the early 1970s. He's one of the architects of the Royal Purge, which is where uh, CBS primarily. Uh, took all of their shows that had a uh, th- that appealed to a rural audience, and then they eighty six them so they could bring in shows that would appeal to an urban audience. So a highfalutin. Um, yeah. And by the way, the episode you do on the rural purge. Yes. The song, the song from Hee Haw. Oh God. Hits. Oh, it's it's a good song. It is. I I had never heard that song until I looked into it. Yeah, the song by uh, Roy Clark, which is uh, it's like the Hee Haw Lawrence Welk uh, Revolution or something like that. I, I think it's called. Yeah, they're like they're like dissing the they're like referring to the Royal Purge. It's very topical. It's like a yes. They like they completely go in on the Royal Purge, and it's a hot song. Yeah, it is. It really is. It was it was a nice find. So Silverman yeah. gets rid of all those shows. He brings in All in the Family and uh, Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart and things like that. And CBS uh, becomes the number one network. And then he gets tired of being there, so he gets lured over to ABC. And at ABC, he does this. He does something. Well, not exactly similar, but he 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 elevates them to the number one network with Charlie's Angels and Three's Company and Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and Love Boat, and so bangers. Yeah, so so now let's he he feels okay. I can do this. I did it twice. I can do it again. So he heads on over to NBC, where now he's not just the programmer; he is the president of the network. So he doesn't have any bosses really. And, and he's like 42 years old at this point. He's he, already run – he's already saved two networks or basically done a very good job at two networks. And now he's taking over network at like 42. At like 42. It's really crazy. It's really crazy. Wow. And so he comes in and it, he comes in in uh, 1978 and NBC pretty much already has their, their shows already set. So they head into their fall season – and it's a total disaster. Like, all of their shows are bad. Who would have guessed that a sitcom starring Joe Namath would be bad? But as it turns <laughs> out, it was terrible. So all of their shows that they put out there, and, and if you could find the uh, NBC promo for it, the uh, NBCS promo for the 1978-79 fall season, which they're, they're touting as, we've got all these wonderful shows for you, and they all go bust out. <laughs> They all go bust out. And it's funny is that Different Strokes is actually a replacement show. It, it's a show that ends up hitting, but it was not supposed to be on the fall schedule. It's because one of the shows, I think it's the Waverly Wonders with Joe Namath, when that got canceled, Different Strokes replaced it. And most of those shows are gone by November, December. Like, they don't make it through October. That's how... <laughs> humiliating. Yeah, completely humiliating. And so Silverman is looking, okay, what can I do to save this? And so he looks and he sees that Super Train is in production. And Super Train is not supposed to come on until the next year. That's the thing. Super Train is not supposed to be on until 7980. But in a little (laughs) bit of desperation, perhaps, he goes ahead and he fast tracks it and he pushes it. And like, I want to say it gets commissioned in January and it's on the air by, I think, think February or March and the concept of super train where you, the, the most common description of it is it's love boat but on a train but not just a train 
a super train. It's a train. Salt. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, listen, one of the train cars is a discotheque. What more? What more do you want? Right. And so you're saying it's one of those shows that critics love and a certain select audience <laughs> really enjoys, but it just doesn't catch on with the the ignorant masses who just don't know how how brilliant it is. Um. Wow. I don't know that that's ever been used for Super Trade, but you know, I'm I'm sure somebody would li- would would love that description. Wow. That's that's great. No, um, it's, it's terrible. We it's, watched it. It's terrible. It's it's impressively terrible. Um, <laughs> it comes now. NBC hypes it. Before it, it airs, they hype the hell out of it, and they make it seem like it's the second coming. You know, they they put an, a ridiculous amount of effort into uh, building the sets, the train sets that uh, are, are that's that's the one number that I know is that the train sets cost five million dollars for two sets of trains. One was about uh, a foot tall, and one I think was three feet tall. And had like a thousand feet of track that was out in the desert, and Jesus. and on the first day that the executives come to look at this train, right? Let's let's see this train that we spent <laughs> millions of dollars for. It crashes right in front of them. The train crashes in a big, <laughs> embarrassing heap. Uh, one time, Silverman goes to visit the set, and he's so frustrated at at the how the production is going, he kicks one of the trains and breaks <laughs> his toe. <laughs> because he he did not realize the train was made out of metal. <laughs> oh my God. And didn't you also say that they they were so convinced and they were so aggressive and promoting? They bought airtime on like on syndicated TV, like on independent stations, yes. to promote the NBC show, which is insane. Yeah, that that um, is correct. That that uh, they they did that on on the UHF channel. So wherever you were watching your reruns of Alice and the Jeffersons, you would have seen an <laughs> ad for Super Train uh, <laughs> in uh, somewhere sometime in 1979. I know I've never heard of such a thing before when I when I found that out. But yeah, that's that's how crazy they were to get that in, and that's how much of a of a huge deal they thought they had on their hands. Like, okay, this is going to save the season. And uh, it, it did not. Oh, my God. So, obviously, on this show, we try to figure out how to turn great stories into movies. And so far, this sounds like a setup for a great disaster artist type movie. Um, <laughs> just a yeah. story of a complete failed film that may find second life. Um, does Super Train find a second life? Is there any redeeming outcome of this story? There is no redeeming outcome of this story. <laughs> there really isn't. Uh, Super Train goes down. Uh, it's oh boy, the, the way the show goes, it's it kind of has uh, two or three different lives while it's on the air, and it's only on the air for nine episodes. This is a show that had three different theme songs used. I don't understand this. So it 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 was on for four episodes, I believe no, five episodes and then taken off and then retooled and brought back for another four and then never heard from again. And I mean never heard from again. It's not out on DVD, it's not out on video. You can watch some episodes of it on YouTube. I believe I I think 10 out I'm sorry, 8 out of the 9 I think I found on YouTube. And you could find, I don't know, some people have put together, like, uh, three-minute versions of uh, Super Train, which is, honestly... <laughs> fanfic? Yeah. Maybe Super Train the, fanfic? <laughs> maybe the best way to watch it. <laughs> I would love a Super Train fanfic. 
Um, so if, and God bless Silverman, I know that not everyone, obviously third time is not the charm for him. So maybe he's the hero, but, and maybe he's the villain too. I'm, I'm not sure, but it does, does the story have an antagonist? Do you think, is there anyone in here who's like, is it just, is it just a perfect storm that allowed for this super train to barrel through the network? <laughs> like, the, like, can you see like an actual insidious presence anywhere that might be translatable for a film? Okay, so if, if you're going to make this into a movie, uh, Silverman would be the, the main character that I would go with because right. he's, he's running the network. And I've seen him in interviews, and Fred Silverman seems to really like Fred Silverman. So I would say that he'd probably be sort of a, a fun, sort of what you would consider maybe a likable jerk is where maybe the, the category... Okay. You, Otherwise you, known as network executive. Exactly, yes. A ne- ex- exa- he is a network executive. That is exactly who he is. You, you couldn't put it any better. And when the show first starts out, there's a producer by the name of Dan Curtis who's sort of a, uh, a very straight arrow, kind of no-nonsense guy, and he had an idea, uh, an idea of what he wanted for Super Train, which was sort of a darker show, sort of like... Um, you know, murder on the Orient Express, but every week we're going to do that. That was sort of the mm. idea. We're going to have sort of a, a dark time. The, the second episode, oh, it's so, it's so not good, but the second episode <laughs> is with Dick Van Dyke and, and Larry Linville, who uh, you may know as Frank Burns from MASH. And mm. uh, it's, it's basically strangers on a train is, is the idea, right? Dick Van Dyke runs into Larry Linville and, and they have yeah, a conversation. It, it, it takes them two whole episodes before they steal the plot for the most famous train movie ever. <laughs> exactly, and the thing is, oh, it's so, it's so cheeseball because uh, <laughs> Linville is not on the train, and Van Dyke is on the train, and it seems like he wants to kill Larry Linville's ex-wife for him. And so the whole time, Larry Linville is trying to, to stop the train and to get on the train, and he's flying to Chicago to, to try to get on board, blah, blah, blah. And at the end, it turns out, oh, this is so terrible, because Linville has just split from his, uh, his wife. They've just got the divorce, right? And okay. So, and so Linville shows up to, to make sure his, his ex-wife is still alive and still fine. And as it turns out, this is what Dick Van Dyke's purpose was the whole time. It was to bring those two crazy kids back together. They really, Jesus. Because they really loved each other. Yeah, that's right. And and then it uh, and then it ends with him with Van Dyke going and like doing it to somebody else like he's starting the the same routine with someone else. Is there a moral to the story of Super Train? Oh my God! Um, yeah, don't fast track things that should take time. Uh, you know, because maybe if they took their time and got things, they had more time to put that show together, it would have been better. But yeah. But uh, Dan Curtis, who was the original producer of the show, and he's the producer of the show, by the way, for like three or four episodes. I don't think he's, he's, on, he's around past that. But he wants the darker show, and Silverman <laughs> kind of wants, maybe he wants Love Boat. I'm thinking that maybe he wants Love Boat, because by the time the show is in its last episode, in, in episode nine... They actually have a soundtrack. I'm not, not a soundtrack. I'm sorry, a laugh track going right. in that one. So now it does kind of resemble the awfulness of Love Boat. So and is it, it's still an hour long, I guess, drama with a laugh track. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that's what Love Boat was, wasn't it? It was it was an hour long, and it had a laugh track, and there was drama, and there was comedy, and you know, there was uh, recognizable stars from uh, TV favorites, and that's what you, you know. Got. Uh, I was dating someone once who showed me old family videos from the 70s, and the thing that stood out to us was that everybody was drinking the whole time. <laughs> it may have just been this family, but, like, everybody had a glass in their hand. Like, what was going on in the 70s? Like, was were chemicals a factor? Mm-hmm. Were, <laughs> were chemicals a factor for Super Train? Is that is that your question? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good question. I honestly, I, I don't know. I know that you had the conflict of two guys who wanted two different shows. So, uh, and, and then when the first four episodes didn't hit, like the first episode actually did pretty good in the ratings. I believe it was number 19 <laughs> that week. And that was heavily advertised as we discussed. There was also a massive blizzard the weekend that, uh, that Super Train <laughs> premiered. So everybody stayed home, and a lot of people watched it. Now, it granted, it still lost to Charlie's Angels that night, but a, <laughs> lo- a lot of people still watched it, right? And that is th- such... It's such salt on the wound that, like, not only like, did even Mother Nature allow for more people, like special circumstances, for more people to see this. Yes, and it just did not even rate. Oh my god! It still, yeah, it still didn't do what you would have wanted it to do. But it did okay. It did okay. And then it's every week after that where it's just smaller and then much smaller and much smaller and now we're going to take it off the air and Dan Curtis our no-nonsense guy who had had some sort of a vision for that show he's gone he's out of there and now Silverman is going to start pushing things the way he wants them to to be pushed and if you're making the movie of Super Train of the of the making of Super Train then then that's what your story is let artists do art, like let them take their time and actually produce what they want to produce and not have too much commerce. Or am I like just reading way too much into this? When I say commerce, I mean like desperate capitalism. Like we will do anything to make this work and it fails. Is that, am I just trying to put some meaning on Super Train? <sighs> That's a, it's a really good one, right? It's a really good one. You know, there's, have you ever seen the movie, the TV set? No. Okay, this is with David Duchovny, and it's from, I believe, 2006. And hmm. Duchovny is a guy who has a television pilot, and you know he, he's got an agreement, and basically it's the, the difficulties that he goes through in getting that pilot on the air and all of the pressures that he goes through with the network executives who want to, to, you know, to change his show into something else. And and so there is that sort of storyline that I believe that that's what you're talking about. And yeah, that's a that's a valid and good storyline. Although I don't know if the like the the first few episodes of Super Trade, I don't know if they qualify for something that would be great. Uh, maybe if they had more time, it would have been a much better show. So there is kind of a happy ending to this story for Fred Silverman. I mean, we're going to have to go through this very depressing, sad thing. But Fred Silverman, before he gets fired, greenlights a couple of flat-out great shows that really changed television Iconic forever. Iconic shows, yeah. He is very happy to remind you of these things, by the way, because anytime <laughs> somebody brings up the fact that uh, <laughs> of, of NBC, uh, he will tell you, uh, yes, you know, before I left, though, I, I – hey, look, 
Cheers was on my desk, and I went ahead and I, I said yes to that. I said yes, okay? Wow. So come on there. He, he wants That is one of those things that he wants you to know. Uh, I, I will say this, though. I'll say this for Fred Silverman. He did something um, that, that stays with NBC to this day, and that hmm. is he brought back the Peacock logo. Oh, wow. Yeah. If you look in the 70s, the NBC, they have that, that terrible, uh, just that N that looks like two uh, triangles put together. And he, he brought, he found a, he found an old, he found like a new mock-up for a peacock logo in a drawer somewhere. That's the story he tells. And he said, you know, this is beautiful. Why aren't we using this? And so, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, so he, he, he does bring that back uh, before he gets uh, fired, I think in 1981, I believe. And it's not just Cheers, right? There's St. Elsewhere. Aren't yes. there a couple a couple home runs he, he parted with? Uh, yes, that is correct. St. Elsewhere is also on his list. That's true. I mean, if you want to give him some, some success, oh boy, some successful shows, well, different strokes happened under his watch, which also means that then Facts of Life ha- had to happen under his oh. watch because that's a year later. And then uh, Give Me a Break was also under his watch. And Spectacular show. Yes. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Which, wait, which was a spectacular show? Um, of those shows, uh, I would say Different Strokes is like head and shoulders above almost every other show ever ever made. Um, <laughs> but Give Me a Break, there's a speech where Nell Carter, one of, one of the girls on Give Me a Break is complaining about her dad and what a jerk he is. And then he like gives her what she wants. And she's like, you know what? We have our fights, but I really love my dad. And then Nell gives this speech that is like, honey, that's not love. Like love is eternal and unending it isn't just when somebody gives you what you want and that has stayed with me since i was like five wow it was Listen it to was this. mag it was magnificent i love that show sometimes i come home and my daughter who is 19 will have <laughs> me tv on and sometimes i see give me a break on and i and my first thought is why are you watching this it's like what's what's the matter with you why, why would you watch this but when I think of Give Me a Break, there's an episode that stands out in my head, and that is where Joey Lawrence is doing some sort of a routine, and he's, you know, tap dancing or whatever, and he p- comes out in blackface. And Nell Whoa. loses it. Yes, and Nell loses her Joey mind. Joey Lawrence? Yes, yes, Joey Lawrence. Uh, Excuse me, we have to go write a story about his blackface <laughs> scandal. Uh, uh, tell me about it. Yeah, and Nell pulls him aside, and, you know, he is, I don't know, like seven or something, so he has no idea why it's bad. And she, like, you know, lets him know. And honestly, this is where I, this is the moment in life where I learned what blackface was, was because of Give Me a Break. <laughs> Who would you cast in the story of Super Train? Okay, so for Fred Silverman, I would see uh, maybe somebody like Zach Galifianakis. I could see him. Nice. Uh, I could see him. Uh, I, I mean, re- I would love Steve Carell. Steve Carell. Steve Carell. I feel like could kind of pull that off, but you know, he's <laughs> in his mid fifties, maybe a little bit older. Um, Ed Helms maybe doesn't really look like him. Ooh. Like I feel like uh, some sort of melding between Zach and Ed Helms might actually sort of look. Kind of like what Silverman looked like. John Hamm, no. (laughs) (laughs) He'd be good. Yeah. John Hamm might be good at this, yeah. And and who plays the super trained super producer? Uh, Let's see. Dan Curtis, uh, somebody who is kind of serious. Uh, Maybe somebody like Christian Bale uh, would would be. (laughs) And I I just love the idea of Zach Galifianakis kind of. He's definitely around. Oh, he's around. That's a great idea. He'd be so good. Yeah, like those two guys together. Just imagine, you know, Zach Galifianakis thinking that he knows everything and, and pushing. 
you know, uh, Christian Bale to, to, to madness. Like, that's who, who wouldn't see that? I would see that. Um, you would write it. Who would direct it? Uh, let's see. I would go with maybe Adam McKay because, right. Great. Uh, you know, uh, the, the big short. I'm sorry. Yeah, the big short is uh, it kind of has a, a maybe a similar feel to it. Or Jake Kasdan because he did the TV set, which I mentioned earlier, and uh, that might fit in. Jake Kasdan's kind of a busy guy these days, so maybe that would fit in with him. I don't know. Uh, and maybe the hardest part, what um, what would you call this thing? Oh, boy. Uh, you, uh, we, we can't just call it Super Train? I think it has to be just Super Train. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, well, Trainwreck is taken. Trainwreck is taken. Totally taken. I, I, I was going to go in a weird direction, kind of an artsy direction, and call it Peacock. Oh. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's wait. What if people think it's you know like a Katy Perry concert movie or something? Yeah, um, yeah. She's had enough, hasn't she? I I think um, so. Yes. Or or we could call it by its by its government name, Atomic Powered Super, <laughs> <laughs> and then use an acronym. <laughs> One more try. Peacock Train. P. Yes. Yes. Peacock train. <laughs> or we could just call it Put It Back in the Jug, Mama. Put It Back in the Jug, Mama. Okay. The story of Super Train. That's it. That's it. That's it. Put it back this in the This is why you pay me. Put it back in the jug, Mama. <laughs> well, this train has been super, hasn't it? It, it has. Dan Delgado, thank you so much. This was really fun. We love this episode. Please, everybody listening, go check out the industry. The Super Train episode is the last of six episodes, but there are some incredible stories in this thing, including the double Lombada movies that came out back to back. They came out on the same day, I believe. They came out on the exact same day, yes. Two competing Lombada movies on the exact same day. One of those, the Lou Diamond Phillips one? Oh, no. Are you you thinking of La Bamba? Oh, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Lombada, <laughs> not to be confused with Lombada, the oh, Forbidden Dance. The Forbidden Dance. Oh, okay, I was hearing something else. I love that other movie, though. La Bamba is a, is a perfectly legal dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that's it. Is there anything else that you want to let people know? Um, no, I, I think that we've covered it. Uh, theindustrypodcast.com if you need a direct link, but you can find it anywhere that you can find a podcast.